Each and every one of you are very special people in a very special place. And I feel very special to be able to speak to you today. So I appreciate the invitation a lot. And I want to say to our young friends, you are very special in a special time in your lives. I have a niece and a nephew that are seniors in high school and they're praying about where they should go to college and it's such a struggle. But I know that you want nothing more than to know God's will and to be in God's will and to be the, at the place where God has you. And that's our prayer for you today. So a special welcome to you. Her name was Anna. She was a sweet little Cuban lady, about this high, silver hair pulled back in a bun. And I got to meet her in 1993 when I was in Cuba. I had the great privilege of being able to go to Cuba five times in the 90s to preach, or to, excuse me, to teach at a, and to preach too actually in some house churches, but mainly to teach at a Methodist training school in Havana for pastors. And our Cuban pastor said to the Americans on the team, would you like to go with me today to go to the nursing home? We have someone there and I'd like you to meet that person. That's where I met Anna. She was a devout Christian and the Cuban pastor through the translator, he said, uh, this is a woman of prayer. She spends her days in prayer to the Heavenly Father and I'd like you to, to, share, to hear her testimony. So Anna rose and we listened to a wonderful testimony about how she lives her Christian life in Havana. <clears throat> and during that time she said to us, to the Americans in the group, I want you to know that I pray for America every day. I thought, well, isn't that nice? These people are, have a, a problem with the American government, and the American government has a problem with Cubans. And I thought, wasn't well, that sweet? This lady's praying for us every day. Until she took me back with her next statement, and she said, I want you to know that I'm praying for the persecution of the American church. And I really took a, a gulp, and I thought, what is she talking about and is she trying to play a joke on us? But she was no, not joking, certainly. She went on to say that as a result of the great persecution in Cuba, the Cuban church has flourished and is in a sweeping revival and is experiencing an aliveness like they have not known in decades. And I know that's true because I was there often enough in the decades of the 90s to see it for myself with house churches being planted daily, with conversions, with huge services of baptism and so forth. Anna said, I fear that America will not know revival without the persecution of Christians. For the American church has it so easy and has become so complacent. And then she said, I pray every day for the persecution of the American church so that revival will come to you even it has, as it has come to us. Wow. That's a dangerous prayer, a dangerous prayer. Last year, one of my Indiana Wesleyan students wrote something in a paper that told me he was becoming acquainted with dangerous prayers. Jay wrote this in the paper, and I wrote it down because it was, it was important. Jay wrote, I remember praying at one time, Lord, I want to have faith like Job. If I would have known that prayer came with consequences, I would never have prayed it. Dangerous prayers. The dictionary describes something dangerous as something that is perilous or hazardous or risky. 
Have you ever thought about the words that you pray to God? I'm sure you have. But are there some prayers you've been asked to pray or heard or thought about praying that you know if you really meant it, there might be big, big consequences? Or how about the songs you sing? Even the songs that we sang this morning. Now, I accepted Christ as my Savior when I was a young child. And so I have been a Christian for a very long time. Okay, a very long time. But when I was a teenager, I began to notice more deeply the words of the songs that I was singing. And even as I sang them, I wondered how much I meant them. Have you ever had that struggle? Many of our hymns and choruses are, of course, prayers to God, and so they're directed to God, and I started wondering if I truly meant the words that I was singing, and some of the old hymns went like this, and I stammered through them. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord, over mountain or land or sea, or the other one that always got me, where you lead me, I will follow. I'll go with you, with you all the way. Or the old gospel hymn, All to Jesus I Surrender. Now we have slightly different songs, but if you notice, we're still singing, I surrender all. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And I had a sincere heart as a teenager, and I was still wondering, though I wondered so much that occasionally I would lay out on the verses because I just wasn't sure I could really sing them because I took so seriously what I might be praying in the midst of those songs. I didn't really think of them as dangerous prayers, but they're exactly what, that's exactly what they are. And I didn't want to pledge to God something that I felt I couldn't honestly say or a promise I couldn't keep. Jesus prayed the most dangerous prayer that can be found on our lips, and Mandy read it for you out of Luke 22, verses 36 39 through 46. And of course, it's those haunting words, nevertheless, not your will, but mine be done. That's a very, very dangerous prayer. It was the night before the crucifixion. Earlier in the evening, Jesus had celebrated uh, dinner, the Passover feast with his disciples. He'd given them some final instructions. He'd washed their feet. They sang a hymn. And then... He went out into the Mount of Olives, which this very passage says it was his custom to do, to pray. Now it was time for Jesus himself to utter a very dangerous prayer. And these were the words that came out. God, if there is any other way, if there is any other way, please do it. Please do it. But if not, your will, not mine. Well, Jesus' body was full of distress. I mean, he experienced anxiety to the fact, to the point that he was sweating blood and he was in a battle, a big battle. And such a dangerous prayer left Jesus depleted. And it's amazing to me, but he was so depleted, God sent an angel to strengthen him so that he could finish the prayer. And after the angel came, he prayed more earnestly. Even with clarity of mind and heart, he prayed more earnestly after that visit. And our passage tells us that it was Jesus' custom to go to the Mount of Olives to pray. And he experienced the spiritual discipline of prayer throughout his whole life. That wasn't new to him. 
And he'd already made it clear that his whole purpose for coming was to do the Father's will, but that was on a good day, not the night before his crucifixion. On one other occasion, one day Jesus and his disciples were traveling around the countryside, and he was hungry, and his disciples said, Jesus, why don't you eat something? And Jesus said, I've got food that you don't know about, and my food is to do the will of my Father. Well, that's fine and good. It strengthened him for that time, but now in the prayer garden of the Mount of Olives, pledging to do the Father's will was not strengthening him, it was depleting him. On good days, it's easier to say, I will do the Father's will even for Jesus. But on the days when God takes us up on our offer, we're asked to make good on our pledge, we too will need supernatural strength in order to pray the dangerous prayers. I've prayed some dangerous prayers. About 15 years ago, I came across a very dangerous prayer, and it was written by John Wesley. Like all dangerous prayers, I found it perilous, hazardous, risky. Now, when I first was confronted with the words of this prayer, I happened to be in a very large, large auditorium surrounded by thousands of people in ministry when I first saw the text of this prayer. And I was mystified with the words, and I will tell you that I choked on them as I tried to pray them. It's come to be known the covenant prayer, and the prayer is this. I am no longer my own but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee. Exalted for thee or brought low by thee. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth... Let it be ratified in heaven. Well, like my student Jay, I had no idea of the consequences of this prayer, but I was sure there would be some if I was daring enough to pray it. Was I truly ready to pray such a staggering prayer as this? Well, this began a journey for me of pursuing the true spirit of such a dangerous prayer, but it took a long time. First, I decided I would memorize it. And then I admitted to God that I didn't think I could honestly pray every phrase of this prayer. And so as I prayed the prayer, I prayed that I would mean the prayer. You know what I'm talking about. I bet you do. I asked God to help me grow into this prayer. I said, this prayer is bigger than me. I've got to grow into this prayer. And so I began praying two prayers at once. I prayed the covenant prayer while at the same time, I was praying that God would bring me to the place where I could completely, certainly mean it. So it was like with one breath I was exhaling this prayer and the next breath I was inhaling God help me to mean this prayer, a dangerous prayer. And like I said, many dangerous prayers come through struggle. And this one was a struggle for me. But like Jesus in the garden, over time I was supernaturally given strength so that I was able to pray this prayer and honestly mean it. It took a while. But God does send angels to strengthen us in prayer so that we can mean the prayers we pray. Now, here's, here's the bad part. <clears throat> God answers dangerous prayers. 
I found that God ranks me with whom he wishes. Sometimes I love whom I'm ranked with. Other times I don't. Sometimes God has put me to suffering. Sometimes God has let me be employed in his services. And other times I have painfully been laid aside. I have been exalted, brought low, been full, been empty, had all things, had what seemed like nothing, but of course that wasn't true. But I am no longer my own, and I am in a covenant of abandonment with God. And that covenant has been made on earth and ratified in heaven. Now, many of you have recently seen the movie The End of the Spear. And that has reacquainted us with the cost of the five missionaries slain in 1956 by the Wadani Indians. And this is certainly a dramatic example of people who prayed a dangerous prayer and then were um, asked to pay the ultimate price for praying such a prayer. We all marvel at the abandonment of God to God by this group of men in Ecuador. And they prayed a hazardous prayer, hazardous to their health. But, you know, what always is remarkable to me, that in itself is unbelievable. But that their widows and children would return to the same tribe is beyond belief to me. And so Elizabeth Elliot prayed a very dangerous prayer. She shared this on a radio program not long ago. After my husband Jim died, get this. I said, quoting Elizabeth Elliot, Lord, do anything you want with me. If there's any way in this world that you can use me to open a door for the Wadani Indians, I'm yours. I had put myself totally at God's disposal and told him that if there was ever anything that I could do about the Wadani who had killed my husband and four other missionaries, then I was available. And she says, not supposing that God would call on me to do this. Yet in his amazing providence, she still says, he gave me the privilege of meeting two Wadani Indian women, members of the same tribe, and it was in the fall of 1958, a year after I had met these women, that I, some others, and my two-year-old daughter returned to live with the Wadani. She prayed a very dangerous prayer. Now, dangerous prayers are scary precisely because they're hazardous to our health. They're perilous. They're risky. That's why they're called dangerous. But I would have completely failed today in speaking to you if I left you with the impression that praying dangerous prayers results in sorrow, mournfulness, loss, hardship alone. That the most you could expect would be a painful journey of following God. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. If you dare to pray dangerous prayers, I promise you that two things are going to happen. And I'll, I'll promise you this. First, you will experience greater joy than you ever, ever imagined possible. And I mean true, deep, unquenchable, irrepressible joy that will well up from the inside of you and simply take over your whole being. It's the kind of joy that other Christians can only dream of. You've only to look at the real footage of the American missionaries to see the joy on their faces as they served Christ. 
as a result of praying a dangerous prayer. Now, if you dare to pray dangerous prayers, I promise you fundamental joy. And it is a joy that marks your life like no other joy. You'll be marked by joy. And the second promise I am confident I can make to you is that it will be exciting living. It will be exciting living. When I was a senior at Huntington College, and I remember so distinctly, I graduated, I drove off campus, and my prayer, I remember this so well, my prayer was, God, I don't know what you're going to do in my life, but please don't make it boring. (laughs) That was my prayer. And that was a dangerous prayer, because it's been anything but boring. Jim Elliott said, dangerous prayers lead to dangerous living. And that's exciting living, though. And so he wrote, when he was 21 years old at Wheaton College, he wrote a letter to his parents, and he wrote this. We are so utterly ordinary. While we profess to know a power of the 20th century does not reckon with, but we are harmless, and therefore we're unharmed. We're spiritual pacifists. Non-militants, conscientious objectors in this battle to the death with principalities and powers in high places. He says, the world can't hate us. We're too much like its own. And he concludes, oh, that God would make us dangerous. Dangerous prayers lead to dangerous living, which is pretty exciting living. On August 11th, 1755, Wesley used that covenant prayer for the first time. And he had a special service. And he decided that this would be an occasion where he could gather Christians around him that wanted to be serious about their faith and ask them to pray this dangerous prayer, this covenant prayer. And here's what he wrote in his journal. I mentioned to the congregation another means of increasing serious religion, the joining in a covenant to serve God with all of our heart and with all of our soul. I explained this for several mornings, and on Friday, many of us kept a fast to the Lord, beseeching him to give us wisdom and strength to make a promise unto the Lord our God and to keep it. So on Monday, August 11th, he writes, at 6 in the evening, we met for that purpose. After I had recited the covenant once again and made sure that one and all understood it, I invited the people to stand and pray the covenant. And they did to the number of about 1,800 persons. And then he says, such a night I scarce ever saw before. Surely the fruit of it shall remain forever. So how about you? Can you honestly pray dangerous prayers? Can you sing dangerous songs? Do you mean them when you sing them? Are you ready for the results? This morning, I am going to give you an opportunity to pray Wesley's dangerous prayer. Some of us are ready to do this. Some are not. And so we're going to do it in a way that doesn't point anyone out, per se but I still want to give you an opportunity to pray a dangerous prayer. 
We'll begin with just a moment of silence so that you can contemplate this prayer again and it will be on the screen. And then in a moment, I will invite everyone to stand up just like Wesley did. We'll do it his way. And if you feel certain that you're at a place in your Christian life where you can honestly pray this prayer, I'll simply invite you to pray it aloud with me. And again, we'll all be standing. You won't be singled out. Or maybe you're in a struggle and you want to pray this prayer, but you're not sure that you can pray this prayer. Then you have another option. I invite you to whisper this prayer aloud. It's a way of saying, I want to be ready. I'm almost ready, but I'm not sure, God. And if you can't pray this prayer or aren't at the place where you even want to pray this prayer, may I invite you to pray for those who are. Everyone will be praying something. In other words, pray down angels upon us so that we can be strengthened in our prayer. Dangerous prayers give us joy. Dangerous prayers lead to dangerous living. But there is nothing like it in all the world. I invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes and contemplate what God is saying to you. invite you to stand. Everyone, and those who are able by God's grace to pray this prayer in any form, pray with me. I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee exalted for thee, or brought low by thee. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine, and I am thine. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. Go with God's peace and go quietly today. Amen.